we're uh, working our way through a, a series. Who is this man? Our series for the year, our theme for the year is we want to see Jesus. And uh, taken from, from John chapter 12, um, we want to see Jesus. And so we're trying to focus our attention on that. As followers of Christ, we, we need to be familiar with, with Christ. And, and we are doing that to start the year in the, the Gospel of Mark. The book of Mark is the, the shortest gospel, and we're sort of um, following that all the way through to Easter. Who is this man? It, it, it's, I'll mention a little bit later, is really the key question of Mark's gospel. Uh, the other gospels, Matthew, Luke, uh, John, they all kind of address that, but they've got other things going on also uh, written to specific audiences. Mark is probably the earliest of the gospels, and really is uh, very focused on this idea of demonstrating that who Jesus is. And so we just had read for us a, uh, an account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Maybe, just maybe you've heard that story before. It tells of a miracle. And that's usually what gets our attention Something that only God could do. And our next slide, if we, we put it up, is a, a picture of, um, it's a little hard to tell, you can see the mosaic. It's a church there in, in the area of Galilee, an, an, an old church, and this is an old mosaic. I won't say the name of it because it's hard to say. Um, but in, in the tradition... That rock, that's a, a rock with a candle next to it. It's sort of under a table. But that rock is the marker, the location, where Jesus performed this miracle. And so they, they built a church on top of it, uh, put down a mosaic, and that may or may not be true. But um, that's, that's where that, com- that image comes from. And so you would mark, something like this, because it is a significant event, right? That you start off with five loaves, you start off with two fish, and wham, you feed 5,000 people. Wouldn't that change our catering here for our fellowship meals? Um, 5,000 men, and, and we should point out, plus women and children, so probably a much larger crowd than that. And and so Mark tells this story, he recounts this miracle as part of his consistent effort throughout the book to answer the question, who is Jesus? So my goal this morning is different from Mark's. Um, My goal is not to spend a lot of energy convincing you that the miracle proves Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Um, rather, I want to explore a different question. Um, and that question is on the next slide. Um, and very simple, so what? Okay, Jesus fed 5,000 men. So what? You've heard the story. Has it ever changed your life? How are you a better follower of God? Because Jesus fed 5,000 people. Okay. Has that made a difference in your life? Um, and, and so I think it can, and that's what I want to explore today and spend some time 
discussing and looking at this. Why should we care that Jesus performed a miracle? In Growth Group a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a, a set of miracles in Mark chapter, the end of chapter 4 and going over into chapter 5. And in this set, a series of miracles as Jesus moved from one place to another, we see him demonstrate power, and power becomes an important word. We see him demonstrate power over nature as he calms the storm. He's out in a boat on the lake, and he calms the storm. We see him demonstrate power over demons as he casts out the demon from the uh, Gadarean man. We see him demonstrate power over sickness as he heals the, the woman with the bleeding problem. And then we see him demonstrate power over death as he raises, restores life to the young girl, the synagogue leader's daughter, and, uh, and brings her back to life. And so we have these four events that, that demonstrate the power of Jesus. And, and I think we would expect that, right? If Jesus is God, if Jesus is God in the flesh, then wouldn't we expect there to be demonstrations of power? Isn't that one of the traits that we give to God? Like, if God didn't have any power, wouldn't matter how good he is, maybe not in this room, but someone would just come up and bop him on the nose, right? And just say, that's what I think of your, your goodness and you being God. It's kind of, to be God, you need to have some power. And Jesus demonstrates that throughout his, his ministry. Mark makes sure that his readers know about it. In fact, I think those four miracles put back to back um, are intended to kind of blow his readers away. Okay? I'm just going to put these four stories out there and you will be convinced that this man must be the Son of God. He must be divine. There's got to be something special about him if he can demonstrate his power in each of these four realms. Nothing can stand in Jesus' way. Not the storms of nature, not demons, not sickness, not even death can stop Jesus from fulfilling his mission. But then in chapter 6, the mood changes. Jesus finds himself rejected in his hometown. After these displays of power, he is rejected in his hometown. And he sends out the 12 on a mission trip and, and, and to go and tell people that they need to repent, to, to perform miracles. And they come back from that trip. They haven't been accepted everywhere either. And, and they get back and they're exhausted and, and they're tired. Uh, they, hadn't ta- they had to walk everywhere. They hadn't taken changes of clothes. They'd left their money at home. They'd sort of just been, been uh, doing it the hard way. And, and then when they get back, they immediately, at least in the way Mark sequences things, they immediately learn of the execution of John the baptizer. Herod, down in, in the southern part of the country, has executed John the baptizer. And so the, the 12 have returned and, and they've, they've sort of been busy and they're tired and then they get this news that Jesus' cousin John is, 
is, is executed and they're grieving. Some of them had been disciples of John, if you remember, if you know the stories. They'd been close to John. And so they're grieving, they're exhausted. And they're still surrounded by so many people that Mark tells us they didn't even have time to eat. And so Jesus says, hey, come with me, guys. Let's get away for a rejuvenating retreat. I don't know what he had in mind. In fact, it's a growth group question. What do you think Jesus had in mind? Foot massages, fancy meals, um, lying on hillsides of green grass, you know, soaking in the sun. I don't know what, what Jesus had in mind. But it was a break. It was a chance to, to take some deep breaths, to re-energize, deal with the grief, process their experiences, encourage one another. And they sail across the Sea of Galilee only to find that the crowds had predicted their trajectory and run around the edge of the lake and got there before them. And so they get off the boat and there are the same people they just left. And there's still a lot of them. It makes me wonder if they had a chance to eat a sandwich while they were on the boat or if they were rowing the whole way. All right, I'm, uh, I want to do something different at this point. This kind of sets the, the scene for us. Okay? This is where they arrived. Jesus and the 12 have arrived at the, at the lake. Uh, so I need some volunteers. I need three. Mark, you're sitting up the front, so you will do. Ed, you're also sitting close to the front, so you will do. And uh, Jamie, since you're here this week, we'll uh, put you to work. I <coughs> know, oh, she's never coming back, right? <coughs> So, uh, you are each going to, to take uh, the role of a character um, in, in the story. There are three main characters. While they're just standing there looking wonderful, uh, I want to give you, set the scene a little more. One way of reading the story is to notice the dynamics of what's going on here. Uh, who has what? Okay. We see dynamics of scarcity and abundance. You're going to get sick of me using those two words by the end of, end of this morning. And so my three volunteers represent three groups, groups of people. The crowd, the 12, and Jesus. Okay? And as Mark tells this story, the story has at least four different acts or four different movements. In Act 1, it opens as Jesus and the Twelve step off the boat. And they see the crowd, and we have to consider what are they thinking. Okay, so I'm going to do it like this. You get to be Jesus. <coughs> yep, just, just kind of hold it there. We'll try and keep track of everyone. Okay, I'm going to move this over here. Um, I'm going to make... Jamie, you're going to be a disciple. <coughs> And uh, at this point, let me see, nope. All right, thank you. <laughs> so, so Jamie represents the 12, okay? And, re and remember this as we go through this whole thing. Jamie is the 12, and Ed, you are the crowd, 
All right. So, the disciples just stepped off the boat. Jesus, the disciples. What are you thinking? Yeah, you see, yeah. I mean, the crowd. No? You're sad. Why, why are you sad? Yep, starving. Didn't get a sandwich, right? Yep, tired. Mark, what do you think? Maybe, maybe. And so that, that first impression, though, is, hey, I thought we just sailed away from these guys. Okay. And so what we have is we have the crowd in this situation has an abundance. They have an abundance of time, apparently. They have an abundance of space. For, for the 12, that's what they're seeking. They don't have time. They don't have space. They just want some alone time. Okay? And so they're feeling blue and sad. But Mark doesn't spend a lot of time there as they get out of the boat. He moves quickly to act number two. And this act doesn't really contain any action. Right? Nothing happens. Nothing takes place. All that happens is Jesus talks and provides a different way of viewing the situation. Mark over here alluded to that. Rather than feeling sorry for himself, Jesus feels sorry for the crowd. He sees the crowd as a sheep without a shepherd. And suddenly the crowd are the ones with a scarcity, a scarcity of leadership, a scarcity of hope, a scarcity of knowledge, of understanding, a scarcity of faith. Jesus is moved with compassion. So Jesus, I'd like you to come and I'd like you to swap their, uh, their pictures, please. No, no, Mark, so Jesus is going to come over and, and swap their, your signs. Just swap signs. No, no, Jesus is still Jesus. Jesus is going to come over and swap your signs, but that's already taken place. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. I know, I know. Good volunteers are so hard to find. So, um, so we've changed. How, how does the crowd feel? Now, at least in Jesus' eyes, Ed, how's the crowd feeling? Why, why have they followed Jesus? Why have they run around the lake to meet him when he gets off the boat? Okay, because of the amazing things he can do. Okay. How if the 12 adopted Jesus' perspective, Jamie? How does that change it for, for them? <laughs> yeah. They see an opportunity, right, to make a difference in other people's lives. And so we've, we've swapped this idea of abundance and scarcity. The people that were low, had run out of, were running on fumes, out of time, out of space, now recognize that they actually have some resources. They have things that other people want. And so they've swapped places. Notice that when Jesus is moved with compassion, he begins teaching. Like, oh, I just want to you know, just mention that to you, this preacher's favorite verse. Um, so Jesus 
swaps the scarcity and abundance. After a considerable time teaching, he, he teaches, shows them compassion. The 12 come to Jesus. Yeah. Now the 12 are not quite as happy as they seem, apparently, because the 12, anyone know what the 12 want to do at this point? Jamie, you know? They want to eat, but what do they want to do to the crowd? Yep, send them away. Okay. How does the crowd feel at this point, Ed? Yeah, tired. They're hungry now, okay, and they're not wanted. And so, yeah, sure, the 12, they couch it in terms of being concerned about the crowd. Right? And, and, and maybe people with abundance do this at times. Um, but we have to wonder if they just wanted to be alone or the whole time, if, if that was what they really wanted, to, to enjoy the relaxation that they'd originally planned. And, and, and those with abundance maybe sometimes view those with scarcity this way. Even today, as a bother, as in the way. Your hunger makes me feel bad. Go away. There are too many of you. I can't feed you all. Go away. And so the twelve say to the crowd, go away. Yes. And look how happy they are about it too. <laughs> Their demeanor hasn't changed, you know. Jesus reminded us how blessed we are. We're happy. Now crowd, go away. We're still happy because we're still blessed. But then in the third act, Jesus says, no, you feed them. You feed them. Ah, well, that, that, yeah, yeah, right. Now what are the, uh, what are the, feeling. How are we going to do it? We have a severe case of scarcity. Because we can't do it. We don't have enough. How how much money is it going to take to feed 5,000 people? More than than they had. The crowd, if they heard it, I'm not sure that they're really happy because they're going to be really dubious about the 12's ability to... uh, um, actually carry out the instruction. And so perhaps Jesus is feeding the twelve, uh, teasing the twelve. Perhaps Jesus was testing their faith. Perhaps Jesus was letting them know that they had a responsibility to the crowd. The twelve, we can swap back now. The twelve actually do have an abundance still. They may not be able to feed the crowd, but they have an abundance because they're with Jesus. Okay? You see, the 12 didn't have to go into the villages to get food. They were sending the crowd into the villages. Why didn't the 12 have to go into the villages? They're with Jesus. Okay. Now, why are they with Jesus? They're with Jesus because he chose them, right? Jesus said, you, 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 and a little while later, you, you, and you are coming with me. And so their abundance, I mean, yes, they had to follow, but he had to choose them first. Their abundance that they're experiencing, that they're enjoying, is not because they had worked harder than the crowd. 
Their abundance is not because they had planned more wisely than the crowd had planned. Their abundance is not because they have greater stamina than the crowd. The twelve had no reason to consider themselves separate from the crowd, except for their proximity to Jesus. And so telling, and and so as such, they have a responsibility to the crowd. You see, they've they've chosen to say, well, we're the 12, we're happy, we have abundance. You're the crowd, you're you're sad, you have scarcity. But in reality, they should be part of the same group. And, And so those with abundance, if they're part of the same group, their resources get added to the crowd. And they share, and there's a responsibility there. They don't get to step away from that. Telling 5,000 desperate men to go away and find their own food is not an act of compassion. Remember what it was from Jesus that changed everything? Mark? When they got off the boat? He was moved with, moved with compassion. So Jesus was moved with compassion, which changed this. But now... As the 12 see it, they have no compassion. They're actually separating themselves from Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, you had compassion, but we're going to send these hungry families away into the countryside. Now, of course, Jesus knew when he told them to feed the five to feed the crowd that they couldn't feed them all. And that leads us to act number four. And in act number four, Jesus provides something out of nothing. The crowd was satisfied, and the 12 pick up baskets. I'm going to pretend that the 12 are happy. I don't know if they were or not. But certainly the crowd has changed. They have moved from scarcity to abundance. How abundant are they? There were leftovers. Right? Leftovers are a sign of abundance. Think about that. And so through Jesus' miracle, he provides for those experiencing scarcity. The crowd is satisfied, we're told in verse 42. And as the scene ends and the camera pans away, we see the twelve walking among the crowd, picking up baskets of food, picking up the leftovers, putting them in their baskets. Twelve disciples, twelve baskets of leftovers. And you can hear Jesus, just as the credits begin to roll, saying something along the lines of, you guys love your neighbors, and I'll provide their needs. Thank you very much. You can give them a hand. They did did well. They did well. So in this story, these four acts, as we see this connection between scarcity and abundance that takes place, this this switching, how it switches from one to the other, how Jesus 
transforms it and changes it. Mark, the, the teller of the story, gives us a glimpse of the kingdom of God. This isn't just a random act of kindness. This Jesus and all that he does, in, in the ministry of Jesus, we experience an overlap between the new creation, still to come, and our current sin-infused creation. And so, in, in Jesus, we see a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And it's a kingdom of compassion. I love that imagery. It's the word out of this whole story that, that jumps off the page that Jesus... And we, we can understand the 12, can't we? Getting off the boat and being disappointed. Can, can we relate to that? And, and yet Jesus, the thing that is different for him, the thing that um, brings him, um, makes him who he is, is that he doesn't react in that disappointed way as we would. And so it's a, a kingdom of compassion. It's a kingdom of loving one another. It's a kingdom of following the example of Jesus and providing for one another's needs. But don't get too comfortable in thinking, oh, this is the church. In the church, we're to provide one another's needs. Remember, it's the crowd that ultimately cries out at the end of Jesus' life, crucify him as he stands before Pilate. Now you can say maybe they're not exactly the same people, but they're still described in the same way. It's still the crowd. And, and the, the entity may change, the people may change, but the entity is the same. Jesus loves and Jesus provides for those outside the kingdom and even for his enemies. And so this literally, if you like, in this story, gives us a taste of the kingdom of God. This is literally, again, new creation. As Jesus makes, creates new food for the crown, albeit out of what was the, the, the meager amount that he started with. And so if we live in the kingdom of God, and I believe we do live in the kingdom of God, then caring for those who experience scarcity out of our abundance is a God thing for us to do. It's a Jesus thing for us to, to be aware of who has scarcity and who has abundance is a Jesus thing to do. To, to look around, not just within the church, but to look around our community and to recognize areas of scarcity, to walk into those areas of scarcity and say, we can make a difference. Jesus can make a difference. The kingdom of God can make a difference because God cares about those who are experiencing scarcity. And that as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus, I am called upon to bless scarcity from my abundance. Now, there are certainly circumstances where I'm the one with scarcity, right? Because when we talk about scarcity and abundance, it's a sliding scale, right? If I go to lunch with Bill Gates, he better be buying for me, right? Because he probably doesn't want to sit down at Burger King for a $1.50 bag of nuggets, right? 
So, I mean, there, there are plenty of places that I can be the one in scarcity. But there are also plenty of places where I'm the one in abundance. And just as we saw the 12 and the crowd swap places at times, there, there, are, there are times where my abundance is financial, but there are times where I have financial scarcity, but I have an abundance of hope, an abundance of faith, and an abundance of relationship with God that I can share with those who have scarcity. And so it's this, this wanting to share. It's this wanting to, to increase scarcity. It's this wanting to improve the lives of others. It's a spirit of generosity that Jesus demonstrates, a spirit of compassion. And it's why at Lawson Road we call we, we changed several years ago now our, our benevolence ministry to a compassion ministry because that's what we're motivated by. We, we don't, I don't know, benevolent somewhere along the line maybe picked up the idea of, of just a handout. But compassion ministry says we, um, we care for you. And because we care for you, because we, we love you, because we value you, because there's a place in God's kingdom for you, then we want to speak into your scarcity. And I think today, scarcity can be food, it can be money, it can be education, it can be connections, just the people that you know, the social circles, it can be power. And we see it in, in homelessness, we see it in poverty in our community, we see it globally in developing nations, we, we see it in minorities and immigrants in our society, those that are on the fringes that just don't have the, the opportunities that we have and yet they live next door to us. And sometimes we can be like the 12 and we just want them to go away so that we can live our lives with Jesus. That was what the 12 wanted, right? It was just me and Jesus. Let's just us hang out and those with scarcity, those needy people, those people always asking for something, they just need to go away because they're getting in my space. I don't enjoy their presence. I think Jesus says to the 12, he says, hey, you guys, go feed them. Go feed them. Because you have a responsibility to them. And then he shows them how it's done. And so our walk for water, I think, is a really good example of something that we might want to say, hey, this is just a fun thing that we do. Okay? This is perhaps a way of meeting new people, and it is. This is a way of meeting new people and inviting them to church and talking about Jesus with them, and it is. But we need to be very aware that what we do in that the money that we raise and the places that we send it and the difference we make in transforming lives and living conditions last year in Zimbabwe, the things that we do is not just something added on to the gospel. It is part of the gospel. It demonstrates the kingdom of God in a tangible way to people who are experiencing scarcity. And we can say out of our abundance, we want you to experience the love of God, the compassion of God, because that's who God is, and His kingdom is a kingdom of compassion. And so, yes, there's too much scarcity in the world for this room to solve it. But doing nothing should never be an option. And so Jesus embodies, I think, as we see in this example, I go back, we started our year here at Lawson Road with a prayer service focused on the, the Lord's Prayer given in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and there's that line in that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And doesn't Jesus embody that? 
as the crowd come to him, as they pray, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And, and, and we can live with that. And, and I think sometimes we want to be very individualistic about it. We say, I'm going to pray that prayer. God, will you give me my daily bread? But I think God's perspective is always greater than that, always bigger than that. I mean, yes, he doesn't want us just to be praying for ourselves all the time. And so when we say, give us this day our daily bread, who do we mean? How wide, how broad is your table when you make that request? God, will you solve world hunger? God, will you eradicate poverty in this city? God, will you make sure no child goes to bed tonight without a a full stomach? God, how can we participate in that mission with you? And then, having addressed that, do you know what the next line is in the prayer? Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. It's like, oh, yeah, let's get to the serious stuff taking care of the bread. I feel pretty good about that. I went to bed with a full stomach last night. God, you did your thing. Now forgive us our debts. But there's a condition there, isn't it? As we forgive our debtors. You see, the way that we live toward others, the way that we love others, there's a connection there between the way that God interacts with us. Jesus gives us bread. Jesus gives us bread because he's forgiven our debts. That's ultimately where the story ends up, isn't it? That as we go through the Lord's Prayer, we say, yes, amen. Jesus provides for me. Jesus is my provider. Jesus feeds me, meets my needs. And then Jesus has forgiven my debts because of what happened. Because at the end of the road, he runs into the crowd again and ends up on a cross. Because of all of that, then my debts are forgiven. My sins are forgiven in that sense. And so Jesus gives us our bread. He forgives us our debts. Jesus is our provider. And how does that change our lives? You see, it may not change our lives very much that Jesus, once upon a time, did a miracle, but fed a bunch of people that had left home without a packed lunch. That's nice. Move on to the next story. The next story is a good one. The next story is Jesus walks on water. We really get spectacular at that point. Yeah? Like, that's a good story. But, But what about this one changes our lives? But what if the message isn't just that Jesus once upon a time fed 5,000 hungry people by performing a miracle. What if the greater miracle, if you will, is that throughout history, God's people have lived, have, have demonstrated that his kingdom is a kingdom of compassion and, and that, that, that we're willing to give from our abundance to address scarcity in places that we see it. Scarcity in all of its forms to give people fullness of experiencing the goodness of God. And so this morning, if you uh, do not are not a follower of Jesus, then you have the opportunity to do so. You see, following Jesus, I, I don't think following Jesus makes you richer. 
<laughs> because the message here is to give it away, to be generous, to make a difference in the lives of those around you. I mean, ultimately, you can be richer by not being a follower of Jesus. But if you say, there is something about Jesus, I want to be compassionate. I want to make the world a better place. I want to love my neighbor. I want to, I want to live in harmony. I want to experience peace. And that psalm that was read for us right off the bat this morning was about coming to the temple and praying for peace. I want to experience that and be part of that vision for humanity, that vision for creation. I want to, I want to live out new creation in the present. Then you can commit today to follow Jesus, whether it's for the first time or a recommitment to say, I need to get back on track because I've been distracted. I need to make some changes. Whatever it might be, you have that opportunity. You can come and let me know. We'll pray with you. We can be as detailed in talking to the congregation as, as, as you want or, or just as general as you want. But, but we can pray. And if there's something on your heart that you don't want to share publicly, talk to somebody afterwards. That's what we're here for. Love one another. To share our experiences with you. To share our abundance with your needs. So whatever it is, please take advantage of, God, of God's abundance this morning. Let's stand and sing together.